to episode 39 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and your host. This week I've got not one but two guests in the studio. I have Kristen and Sean Hayworth, episode 21 and 23 respectively. How's it going there guys? It's going all right. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing just fine. Uh, you are not graced with the look of my uh, of my wondrous beard and moustache. I had a very big, bristling moustache and beard, but I've shaved it off for Movember beginning tomorrow. I think you guys might have experienced its awesomeness at the uh, at the convention uh, a few yeah. weeks ago. So <laughs> you haven't you haven't fully missed out. But yeah, that was for the purposes of a of a different convention that I was that I was going to uh, trying to uh, sell my book. But anyway. So uh, wait, wait, wait! Does the facial hair help sell your book? Um, well, I was in costume as well as a Victorian gentleman, so that was all part of the uh, it was all part of the outfit. But it worked out quite nicely because it means I went for a couple of months without having to shave, which was nice. And now I've got a cherry on top, which is Movember. Although I do have to grow a terrible looking moustache. So nice. It's is a, your wife going to punch you in the face? Uh, for that? Again, yes. No, she was so happy um, that. Everything disappeared yesterday, but um, my mother not so much because I was supposed to be a photograph with myself and my children uh, getting ready for Halloween. But anyway, she missed uh, out. It's just just the way it goes. Did you guys go out for Halloween last night? You, you know, you think that we would because it was our anniversary. You would think and, that. Um, no, we went tried to go out for pizza, but the toddler was being rambunctious, so we got a pizza and came home and I don't know watched a movie. Yep. It was very exciting. There you go. So, uh, between you, how many role-playing books do you guys own? Jesus. All of them? All, all of them. I wouldn't say all of them. I have uh, all it, of the books. Hard copy, probably pushing 60-ish. I've never really counted, but we have a shit ton of them. Uh, I'd say 40 to 50, probably. Count, counting P- PDFs, over 100. Oh, well sure. over Sure, and uh, do you have duplicates of uh, of a whole bunch of them because you don't like you had to get all the different covers or? No, no. <laughs> we are not that silly. No, I'm um, sorry, silly people, but we are not that silly. <laughs> I think the only thing that uh, the only thing we have duplicates of is the Burning Wheel Gold main rules, right? Uh, but that's really because everybody at the table needs to have a copy of that yeah, in order. Yeah, yeah. and all um all evil hat stuff. Right. We have good stuff because they give you the PDF. So mm, that's right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And what's what's the very first book that you ever went out and purchased? I guess I'm going to go with Sean here because you're relatively recent uh, to it, Kristen. But I would like you you can mull it over to see if you've got any individual purchases you've made without <laughs> Sean holding your hand and directing you to the right books to buy. Oh, I know exactly which one it was. Okay, I'll go ahead then. Uh, I bought um, "Don't Rest Your Head." I don't even think Sean's read it. Um, I read it once. Yeah, I bought it. I ran it for the group a couple times. So good game. It's a really good game. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that was the first sort of. Uh, I think that was the like my third wave of uh, of role playing because I, I, I role played up until I was about eighteen ish, and then school happened. Then I got into post grad, and then I. Uh, Started role playing again in my in my post grad because you know like that's when you've got the most time, um, and yeah. then uh, and then I didn't play for about three years when I migrated to Canada. But then my my lovely wife hooked me up with a, with a group of uh, guys, uh, one of which that I still role play uh, now. Um, and so yeah, so that was but that was the, the sort of the first book I bought with my third um, third bite of the cherry at uh, at role playing that and then spirit of the, spirit of the century as well. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to um, preempt Sean here, but 
I was reading an article today by uh, by uh, Ryan Macklin who was saying that in a conversation, if you ever you say blah 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 blah, but it invalidates every <laughs> single thing that you said before the but in that sentence. Well, so, yeah, because you're going to do exactly the next thing. But I wanted to lead Sean into this the right way because right. I know that he wasn't allowed to own D and D when he first got into role playing. No, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's actually kind of a, a weird a weird thing, and we touched about it a little bit on it when when I was on your show before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't so much my mother, but my aunt was the nut. And so she was aunt. like, you can't let your son have these things. Uh, <laughs> and then I turned 10 and I was like, mom, can I, can I, can I have this? And she was like, oh, okay. What was your uh, aunt doing? Was she coming around inspecting your bedroom for, for evil books or something? Or? No, she's, she's just, she was my mom's older sister. So, right. and my mom's the youngest. So she mm. kind of like, kind of, I don't know if she looked up to her, but you know, she was the, the, "Quote unquote voice of authority that was at least uh, around, mm. uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> when I when I you know as as a ten year old, I'm like, guess what I got? I got this Dungeons and Dragons box set. And she's like, I'm very sorry to hear that. <laughs> I'm like, so disappointed not only in you but also in your mother. That's right. Uh, but but incidentally, it was the Cook Menser Blue Box, the expert set. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you play that without the basic set? I can't remember. Nope. Well, well, <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> and we did. Uh, I'm not sure what we played was Dungeons and Dragons, but it yeah, was fun. So you won. Right. Were right. there dungeons and were there dragons? Oh, there was fucking dragons. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think I'm just trying to remember the co- the cover for that. Uh, it's a dark blue cover. It's, has it got a? It's it got a guy like fighting a dragon on the cover, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I the think guy on a horse, the lance, had is that a right? Dragon on the cover, but it was a dude fighting a blue dragon. Mm. Uh, I think he was on horseback because yeah. the X set is where they have like the overland adventures. Like mm. the basic is you're in the dungeon and then. You yes. get to level four, and you're like, "Oh, look! You can go outside the dungeon." Now. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I think the, was, is it Isle of so, Dread is the is the free module yeah. that came with it. Yep, yep, yep. It's got a big Tyrannosaurus Rex on the front. I think from right. Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, you got fucking dragons and dinosaurs in the same box. I mean, how awesome is that? <laughs> There's not much else you could want there, I guess, except for a girlfriend, maybe. Um, so <laughs> I was ten. We're still icky, but dragons were awesome. But, and so were dinosaurs. But, but it sounds almost like you're making out that they're not still icky. Um, <laughs> how close are you sitting to your girl? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're sitting cl- close to your lady friend. Yeah, good, good call. <laughs> so, uh, what's your final role playing supper going to be before execution, or at least before you're about to get sailed? If you'd rather not think about being executed before being mind wiped. Do you have a good answer for this one? Yeah, um, anyone who knows this would go right to burning well. Be like, oh, they're going to burn something. Um, actually, I would play Octane, ran by our friend Randy Fuck. Uh, because he just he takes that uh, grindhouse kind of theme and just makes the best of it. Right. It's, he runs fantastic Octane games. And that would be, if I had to die and could only play one more, that, that would be it. And any particular um, story you'd like to investigate, or uh, you know, when he surprises us, right? His octane stories. Um, I can't remember. We were the oh, uh, we were the Enigma Squad. I think. Yeah, right? we were basically those meddling kids and their dog. Oh, good, excellent. It was coming, but all of a sudden he's popping out characters, and he just kind of lays out, you know, the the nice. dog. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah. excellent. And what about you, Sean? 
you know what I would play? Uh, I would play GURPS. <laughs> because? Uh, well, because, number one, I it don't... It would make dying not seem so bad? No, no. Uh, number one, I don't know it. So it would take me a long time to learn the system. Uh, two, of what I understand, it takes forever to do anything in that game. Right. Uh, so really, it's, it's a filibuster of execution, is what GURPS is. <laughs> but do you think that it would, like, would that be... Would you kind of get to the point, like, oh, you know what, so whatever... Just let's end it now. <laughs> that's that's possible, but there could be a lot of arguing in it, which could yeah. extend playtime. That's which- right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if you enjoy enjoyed arguing, one of the things that uh, um, I was talking with McGay Baker about on episode thirty two, I think, um, was we were saying that that we like the idea of GURPS, but that a game is better or more enjoyable if the system has been written to support the type of story that you want to tell. And while GURPS is great because it fits everything, it doesn't add anything flavor-wise to the, to the game. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was, uh, when I was at PAX this year, uh, Luke Crane and Jared Sorensen were doing a panel, and they, they brought up uh, GURPS and a couple of other games. And one of the things that they said was that GURPS is not a game. Uh, GURPS is a toy hmm. which you use to make other games. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and and I, I I think that's true with a, with a lot of quote unquote generic systems where yes. like there's there's nothing to play if you just like pick up the rules and be like I want to do this thing like you have right. to do the extra work of making it into something else yeah uh, sure but uh, yeah I, I I totally agree with uh, with Meg Baker uh, in that you know if you if, if if what you want is is a really good experience playing a game. Uh, that the rules you're using should support the kind of game that you want to play. Mm. Yeah, it just adds an extra layer, right? And I think that for an immersive experience, you know, that's what you want to go, what you want to go for. You know, having said that, if you're interested in um, chucking a whole bunch of disparate elements together and just having a, a sort of a run round, shoot things, kill things, you know, get the gold type thing, then I guess that um, you know, a game like um, GURPS would would support that, but if you're looking for, you know, like I say, or like you say, or like Meg says, you know, if you want some extra flavour, you need a different, uh, you need to have a system that's written for that, uh, revo- evoking that flavour. Okay, yeah, so um, aside from the uh, monetary angle, uh, what's your definition uh, of an indie game? That is tricky. I don't think that there's a good one. Uh, I don't no. think that any any definition I've heard of an indie game like is is i think uh the one that you use has been about the best uh which 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 definition about um <laughs> controlling information oh oh no that was uh yeah that that i uh, was actually that came up with a uh out of a thread with with zach smith uh right. and that was actually a definition of traditional gaming like right. the thing about trad gaming is that that all the information control is in the hands of one person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in in non traditional games, that gets that authority gets spread around. Sure, uh, but not all indie games have that no. have that split. Sure. Uh, so yeah, and, and I and guess that, go ahead, just, Kristen. Oh, I was just going to say. I guess what attracts me to more, um, I'm going to use finger quotes here. Indie games, yeah, uh, is is how much control of the story that the players get, right. and I know that there's. Plenty of people who would like to argue traditional slash indie games with me versus storytelling from mm. the player. Um, I don't really want to argue. That's just why I play indie games. Fair enough. 
What causes a role-playing game to die before the story finishes? Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's any one thing uh, because, you know, disinterest is is always one. Like, you just get bored. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, there's been quite a few of our, our games that have... I felt feel like they've died um, due to my intolerance of people. <laughs> that happens. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, sometimes it's it's not even that. Like scheduling. I mean, mm-hmm. once you're an adult, you have a very limited amount of time to do. Time is a precious resource. Yeah. And if the game's not going to scratch that itch for you, why would you devote this precious resource to playing that game? Of course. Yeah. I, uh, I, we had one game fall apart because the characters got too bad to continue. That with, is true. While retaining any humanity. Oh, what, like they were just too horrible to each other? or Just in general. Like, there was, there was just bad things. I don't want to go into the details. It was terrible. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if We had to sit down and have a discussion one session, and I had to look at the players and go, so... My character probably needs to die. So when you set out to kill him, I understand. Go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, they just like, I mean, usually even, even your, your villains, like you have to have something that you like about them yes. to, to continue yep, playing sure. yep. them. Uh, and and when, uh, when you're at that point, when you're like, I really hate this character. Not, not just like he's evil and, and we love to hate this character, but like I don't like, I, I can't I can't go where this character needs to go, so kill him or kill the game and just end it there. Right. Uh, that's kind of what happened with that campaign. Right. And just going to the flip of that, because I've seen a little bit um, you guys were writing online uh, and also uh, Sean Nittner about your burning a Throsa game coming to a, an end. And I wanted to delve a little bit into that because I've really only played in one game that had, uh, you know, an end. Like, it didn't just go and then we stopped playing. Um, how far in the future did you see that coming? And tell me some of the things that you felt about, you know, when a, when a game ended and, and how you felt subsequent to that ending. I think the ending in that game was very organic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very defined point. Mm-hmm. From for probably what last six months, yeah. Like, and we didn't know how quickly we would get to said defined point, but we knew that it was it was out there and it was coming. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a couple of things that uh, there wasn't anything explicitly wrong or bad with the campaign. Um, it was a good time to end it. There were just some other factors that made us want to kind of set it down and walk away for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you said you looked at like followed Nintner on that, and that really was one of the best campaigns ever. Like, and I think playing beyond that would have lost <laughs> would have lost some of the epic nature of yeah. what we did there. Yeah, that's then, right. Um, I don't I don't want to do the whole my character. Let me tell you them. But there was this in the game. Um, the like I want to call them the two main characters. Basically, were uh, half brother and sister. Right. Sister knew, brother didn't. And there was a point in the game where that was going to be revealed when a certain thing happened. Sure. And it was like, how do you, con- like, brother fell in love and they wound up, like, having a thing. So how do you continue when they both have that knowledge? Mm. Like, there's really, and that helped kill it a lot. Right. Like, knowing that that knowledge is going to come out. And- sure. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird because it's not like that that game got killed. It's not like, you know. There was there was some horrible thing that happened, and you know the game fell off a cliff and and died, and somebody had to call its next next of kin. Mm. Uh, None of it, it for sure. Yeah, yeah. This 
this this game died quietly in its deathbed. Uh, well, not really quietly. There were dragons. Uh, so, <laughs> Fire. Yeah. Sure. I mean, uh, it was it was kind of one of those situations where like things could only go uh, in a certain direction, and yep. it wasn't even planned out. Hmm. Uh, I was I was running the game, and I was really like it took probably three or four months of play before I knew what was kind of going on behind the scenes. Right. Like there's a whole bunch of little elements that, Mm. uh, that were there that kept, you know, popping up and recurring. And, and it took me a while to, to tie all those threads together until it was fairly coherent. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I was going to say that because you've got a, uh, a unique perspective, um, amongst that group because you were on the other side of the screen when the whole, the whole thing was, was going down. And, and do you have any, um, advice for people who are, uh, can see a game, uh, sort of ending or any advice for somebody who wants to put together a game that's, that's going to actually get a chance to, to play out? Yeah. Number one, and this is advice from, Apocalypse World, uh, which is play to see what happens. Yeah. I didn't have an ending in mind. Like, well, like we knew what the goal of the campaign was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, the, pl- the, the, the players and the characters knew, like, this is a campaign. We're going to go out and do this thing. Uh, but, but all the details were, were at, at best in broad strokes, and most of them uh, kind, of, kind of came out during play as much from the players' uh, end as, as they did from mine. Right. Uh, we were really good about about uh, sharing our agendas in that case, uh, but but none of us had any idea what was what was going to happen. Uh, right. And the corollary to that is, if it feels like the game is is finally coming coming to a close, like you're at that point where you're right about to do the thing that you have set out to do, and you can't think of where where to go after that, let it. Let it go. Let it die. Mm. Yeah, it, it's like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. They should have stopped after number one. Mm. Why, why keep going and just kind of lose what made it yeah. awesome and special? Yeah, like, because you can totally, like, in, in a situation like that, you can you can come to an end, and the end is going to be satisfying. Yes. Uh, generally speaking, I mean... <laughs> we even, wanted to cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, even, even, like, that game ended sadly. Like, it, it ended with nobody being happy in that game. Right. But sometimes stories end with nobody being happy. Yeah, uh, and and the story is only there once we finish playing. Like mm, whilst we right. were playing, it was just dealing with what was going on right then. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't until you know you get to the end of the game and you look back and you can see like, oh, this is the story we played out. Like a bunch of people went out mm-hmm. to find the lost king and wound up one of them becoming king themselves and and uh, and you know, taking the throne and then being miserable because, you know, he had to do it and he had to give up a whole bunch to do that. Right. Uh, and that's like, that's, that's the end of the story. There was, yes. there was nowhere else to go after that. Right. And we can put it down and then later on, you know, pick it up, you know, pick up something else in that world or see what happened to those characters years down the road or right. where, you know, what happened to those characters, kids, like it's, it's revisitable, but you don't have to worry about, you know, forcing this thing to just keep going mm. uh, that's right yeah well you, you get to the law of diminishing the law of diminishing returns right we've done all the cool stuff with your characters and the story has come to an end it's kind of sad to to let it go but at the same time it's kind of like wow that was that was cool and it finished and, and the that's what i was actually going to make a suggestion i think that uh kristen you're planning to do NaNoWriMo this year mm-hmm. yeah and um unlike last year i actually have a story i have it outlined oh we nice are just- Excellent, excellent. Because um, what I was going to say is, in that case, for next year or maybe for Sean to follow along, is why don't you you write that up as a uh, as a story? 
Well, <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. That's not what I'm writing this year, but last year um, I have like an 80, 85,000 word document nice. that is a previous campaign that was like, it, and it was another Burning Wheel campaign, and we'd sat down. We were like, what would happen if you took uh, Deadwood and right. then, like, dropped it in Burning Wheel and added elk stores and or orc stores and elves? Yeah, there were no elk. No, there was no elk. <laughs> well, you have enough. Uh, elk are delicious. But, but yeah, so that's actually um, – and, and somebody was like, oh, you know, it's not really fun to read AP stories. And I'm like, it's not an AP story. You're just taking that epic tell – Mm. That, and then just kind of making it into a readable fiction, I guess, was how I felt about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of those um, sort of um, casts, like, um, I've lost my word here. Um, a lot of those on, <clears throat> let me say that again. Yeah, well, a lot of those uh, ensemble cast uh, fantasy books, I have the feeling that um, may have been Dungeons and Dragons or something like that uh, campaigns, right? Like, uh, like, um, the Belgariad, you know, David Eddings, um, yeah. or, or Magician, or, or a lot of those stories sort of feel like they might have actually been um, role-playing games to to start with. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that, that there's certainly an audience for those type of stories. Yeah, and actually, uh, I don't know if you uh, if you listen to uh, The Sword and Laser. Uh, it's a It's a kind of an online book club. Uh, they actually have a, a video show through, uh, through Felicia Day's Geek and Sundry now. Right. Uh, but uh, they, they, I was listening to uh, one of their interviews uh, with, oh, I cannot remember the guy's name. He wrote uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora and, and that series. Uh, and, and while they were talking to him, uh, of course, he said, you know, oh, yeah, I got my, my start, you know, writing for role-playing games and, right. and, and gaming. And, uh, you know, same with George R.R. R. Martin was a, was a gamer. I'm pretty sure. I know he was a comic book nerd. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that to you. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, just a lot of people, and it's it's uh, it, it sounds to me like uh, writing for RPGs is kind of, or at least uh, a gateway. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the pulps. It's like the pulps of the modern era. Mm. Like, like mm. if you want to get started, uh, you best be freelancing for White Wolf. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. That's what Chuck Wendig did. Now he has just fantastic books out, but yeah, he's yeah. in all sorts of White Wolf books. Right. Yeah, and and I I, I think that a lot of uh, especially if you you know started out writing for for you know a fantasy RPG and then you move into writing fantasy, uh, you know that's that's a pretty logical progression there yeah. to be like you know we already know like the tropes of this. Yes, uh, and if they if they're good, they start fucking with the tropes of that for sure. All right, so uh, if you could role play with four people, living or dead, who would they be and why? And you know, this is not you can you can choose four each, or you can figure it out between you. But uh, go ahead, Kristen, you have one, and then uh, Sean can have one, and we'll go back and forth. So you oh, just, coach each other's oh. players. If you if you got four, go ahead because I've got I've got at least three. You have three. I've got I've got at least three. Because I know my four. I would go with um, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Edison, and then Sean Nittner. <laughs> nice. that's, the, that's the second person that's chosen Sean Nittner as uh, that's the two two people have chosen uh, Eddie Izzard, and now two people have chosen Sean Nittner to be uh, in their four people to choose to role play. <laughs> One with. of my first role playing, uh, first like indie game role playing experiences with Sean, and I can't even remember where this was, but it was our friend um, J Dog was running this game. 
And Sean, he's like, can I play this NPC? And Justin's like, sure, go ahead. And he grabs this NPC and he's like, I walk into the room and just slap your character. And that's just kind of, I'd never experienced that before. Right. And I'm just kind of shell-shocked. Like, that that wasn't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's just how he plays. He's He's very... He's very into it, and he's very aggressive as a player, but he's also very tuned into what would make this game really, really cool for the other people playing. Right, yeah. And playing Burning Will with him, you see that all the time. You know, he's looking at other people's beliefs and being like, oh, it would be really cool if I made a belief about this, so we have mm. an interaction, and they yeah. get to do a thing, and yeah. he's just, he's fantastic to game with. That's right, yeah, he's extremely gracious as a player. I've, I've play, only played Witch, um, The Road to Lindisfarne, with Sean, I've, I've spoken with him a number of times. But that's, uh, and then also we played. I ran a game for him of uh, of Victoria um, at at Gen Con, which is which is how I met him. But yeah, he's an extremely gracious. He's an extremely gracious player. He's one of those players that um, I'm going to draw an analogy with sports here. I don't think I've actually ever talked about sports before. Um, but um, <laughs> there's a basketball player by the name of Xavier McDaniel who used to play for played for a whole bunch of different. Um, Teams. I mean, he had skills, but he was a, he was a tough guy. And one of the uh, things he said in this um, interview with um, Sports Illustrated was, you know, they said, "Who do you think is the the greatest greatest player ever?" And he said, um, "Magic Johnson is the greatest player ever." And this was sort of at the height of of uh, Jordan's powers, or right when he's about to take them to the to the championships. And they said, "Well, you know, what, why is that?" Um, and he said, "Well, you know, first of all, Magic's a, a great player, and Michael Jordan's also a, is also a great player. But when Michael Jordan steps on the court, you know who's going to be the MVP. But when Magic Johnson steps on the court, it could literally be anybody because he makes everybody else better. And that's that's stuck with me, and, and that's something that I look at in everything. I don't yes, know if he's ever yes. been likened to Magic Johnson before, but um, <laughs> but, but, but for, yeah, he, for role playing, that's that's certainly how I how I see him." And he's welcome to take that in any way he wants to. He can be the Magic Johnson of, of, of role playing. <laughs> I wonder how many people. I wonder how many people followed the uh, followed along with that sports. But anyway, I'm unapologetic. Okay, so you've got three presidents there as well. Any? Oh no, sorry, two presidents and one inventor. Yeah, yeah, basically, um, just Jefferson and uh, Jefferson and Franklin because they seem like they'd be a kick to game with. Right. Edison would be too because he's a sneaky fuck. Mm. And then yeah, Sean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm gonna have to go with uh, with Ayn Rand, Karl Marx, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, and Houdini. Tell me why. Uh, well, because it would be more than entertaining uh, to watch those four people go after each other. Uh, <laughs> all right, really, like because because all of them, like you've got. You've got three atheists, uh, one of which who was born Jewish. Uh, I'm not sure if, if, if Houdini was, was like a practicing Jew. I don't think so. Right. Uh, or at least not near, near the end of his life. But don't quote me because I, I, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, but uh, uh, so, so, yeah, you've got, you've got Rand uh, and, 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 uh, and Marx who were both atheists. But, of course, their, their political philosophies were, you know, diametrically opposed pretty much. Right. Right, uh, and then and then Thomas Aquinas, who was you know the greatest you know theologian, you know of of, of his day. Mm-hmm. Uh, people still point to him when they're making religious arguments. Right, uh, you know, so they they can they can argue that, uh, but they're all going to agree on 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 some things. Right, uh, 
Uh, and then I would make them play dogs in the vineyard. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder what, uh, wonder what Sean's going to say for who they're going to play. Yes. Dogs in the vineyard. Perfect. And so what about, uh, what about you, Kristen? What would you be playing? Oh man. I always just want to play burning wheel. I guess that's the, <laughs> are you going to um, run the game? Who's running the game then? Hmm. Man, this just got a whole lot harder. Um, uh, if I may. Benjamin Franklin would run the most awesome burning wheel game ever. I agree. Now I'm just showing my ignorance here. I see two. I see two presidents and an inventor, but Benjamin Franklin's not a president either, right? Like he's a. Was Benjamin Franklin? It's okay. You're Canadian. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> well, I know I'm. I'm a. I'm a New Zealander actually, and I, well, or English even. Um, but yeah, no, Benjamin Franklin's not even. Not even either. I was just thinking to myself, um, that's. Not, I, I, you know what? I wonder if there's anybody who's uh, who switched off already. But uh, yeah, so if you picked it up, well played. You picked up my deliberate mistake. Well done. So, hell exists, and uh, you have seen you know, the. That, con- that's rude to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say prove it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you maybe you can work him. it into the uh, the question. So, hell exists, and you are sent there condemned to play a certain style of game for eternity. What would it be in wine? This doesn't mean like you don't like a ter- certain um, type of system for some random reason, but a, like a type of game or a thing that that happens, and you're like, oh, I really don't want to do that that thing, and I certainly don't want to do it forever. Anything that involves a grid and counting movements and nice. miniatures. So, nice. I guess like what Warhammer would be. Yeah. Do you like, mean like Warhammer like role playing, or do you mean like Warhammer, like, like Warhammer minis and yeah, that that really crunchy, like having to figure out how many squares you can move in what direction, and oh, this person crossed my path, and so I get a hit on them, and oh, it just kills me. Oh, I, I, I quite like, like that. Why can't I, I just run to roll after the dude? <laughs> <laughs> That's well, I quite like that actually. That I mean that. It's, it's strange. I like miniatures if they're in a miniatures game, but I don't like if miniatures come into a role playing game. So, so yeah, I can't I can't back you up on that. This doesn't sound like hell at all. But okay, so <laughs> so you're playing a miniatures game in hell, and who are you playing with? Oh, just rule mongers. <laughs> and somebody that's really, really, really careful with their measuring stick. Like I've seen some people play, and they just kind of casually sort of put it up to get yeah, that's close enough. But then somebody else who's got to like a maybe like a laser. Laser yeah, distance and finder. lining them up, and yeah, and you're yeah, always and you're right always there. one millimeter short or one millimeter long. Like you can never quite make the. <laughs> I, I think I think you mean humorless engineers, <laughs> <laughs> or anybody who makes me roll against a door. Shut up! That was the rule. <laughs> the door had dice. The door had dice. That's wrong. <laughs> I didn't make up the game. So what about you, Sean, other than a game uh, like that um, with Uh, your wife? um, (laughs) You know, I'm going to have to go with anything that is designed, uh, and and I apologize to people who I greatly respect uh, for this, Uh, any game that that requires you to, like, uh, really examine, like, your own emotions and inner turmoil. (laughs) Uh, I, uh, like, where, where... no, not not so much where where you get that like bleed effect, uh, mm-hmm. like it like in in uh, Jason Morningstar's the the LARP that Jason Morningstar ran, uh, where you like kind of confuse player and character stuff. Uh, Jackson Tegu and Joe McDonald, uh, or as I like to call him, not McDonald. <laughs> uh, Kristen was telling me about this at Big Bad Con. Like she walked into a game and like somebody at the table like broke down sobbing, not like in character. They, they were actually like 
trying to hold it in and couldn't contain the actual emotion <laughs> sobbing that we're feeling. And, I don't, and I'm I not laughing at whoever you may be if you're listening. I'm not laughing at your pain, but um, yeah, I can imagine for somebody that draws a, a really a pretty solid line between where reality ends and uh, and role playing starts. It must be a really difficult um, must be a difficult thing to 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 deal with as a as a player in, in the game. I know that for myself, you know, like I, I I like immersive games, but I can only go so far. And that may be a failing on my behalf in terms of not getting as much out of a scenario as I want. But but I think that um, yeah, if I was ever in a game. Where that happened, I don't know that I'd I'd feel like I was not. I feel like I was wasn't really good enough, good enough for the game that I wasn't you know plumbing those sort of those sort of depths. But, um, but well, yes. and I kind of agree with you there because Morningstar was trying to run, or Chris Bennett at Big Bad was trying to run. Um, what is it, Silver and White? And just reading the description to me and another player, we opted out of this game because it was very much we're going to go on an introspective journey, and we're not mm. just going to learn about our characters; we're going to learn about each other. And we're like, let's just not <laughs> yeah. like stop now before we start, and we're let's just play something silly and ridiculous, right? Right, yeah. It, I guess it depends on what you uh, want from pe- uh, from role playing, and that goes a little bit to that catharsis question I was they asked during during season one. But just returning for a moment to to, to what you were saying, that that's kind of like the brief for for Seinfeld, right? No hugging and no learning, right? Yeah, that was the much. that's the that was the, the thing, and I found that really really refreshing. Something that doesn't demand something from you. Like if you if you've got it to give, then then that's fine. But if a game that demands that, I would have to think twice before participating. Yeah, so I, I concur with you there, Sean. I think I'd find that yeah. um, uncomfortable. That may be wrong, or I may be doing it wrong. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, I'm with you there. And I think hell would be the worst place for that to happen as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because you know they would stick you with people who thought that like Twilight was the greatest literary work of our generation. It's not. Uh, <laughs> what are you? What are you throwing up against Twilight? I mean, you can't make a statement uh, like that. Mm, let, uh, Hold on, let me let me think about this. <laughs> it's a pretty narrow uh, field, Sean. I think once you, if you examine it carefully, you might find you're wanting in terms of having a, an alternative well, to, right. uh, to Twilight. Of gray. <laughs> you know, Sean, a few million tween girls will disagree with you. I, on you know what? Twilight being a great literary work. Argument ad populum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, check out the busting out in Latin there. It's uh, check out the big brain on Sean. Yeah, that's me showing my. <laughs> so who's your favorite hero and why it was funny because we were reading over this question and i'm like i wonder who my favorite hero is and sean's like i'm gonna write it down who your favorite hero is and i'll see if i get it right and Um, no go ahead yeah no spider jerusalem yeah i was totally right he was. He was like typing it into his phone as I was like, oh, this is who it is. I, I, I don't even know who that is. It's like animal place name. Um, <laughs> Spider Jerusalem is from the Transmetropolitan comics written by Warren Ellis. Okay. Um, and Spider Jerusalem has this very much. Um, he His ideal place is to like just be naked on a mountain away from people, away from <laughs> the city. Uh, because even though things just slowly improve, like people are so shitty that, that to have to deal with them. But the thing about spider is that he's, 
very much in love with life, in love with beauty, in love with making things better, but by the same token, hates everyone whose own little issues get in the way and as they force that onto other people. And yeah, and he's very vulgar, he's very rude, disgusting, um, does all the drugs that he can at any point. Um, but yeah, there's this, um, I, I, I describe him like that, but then there's this series of panels where it just shows this little girl's dog getting hawked for money right? and him finding her crying and going in and like buying it for, for her. And there, I mean, there's no words involved and it's just this total like tearjerker kind of moment sure. with this horrible rough character mm. who has a weapon called the bowel disruptor that just makes people shit themselves. <laughs> it sounds like he sounds... I like as you say, like he's almost unre- irredeemable. But so when he, when he purchased the dog for the girl, is that like a shock to you as a reader, or is that pretty early on to sort of set the stage that you know, like you can actually like this guy? I think that's three or four books in. Right. Okay. Um, and and Spiner's whole thing is he he fights for the truth. At the end right. of the day, like he wants to expose the truth. He's a journalist. He has this huge column. Um, is that and so, you're yeah, going to get to see the, the huge column when he's when he's naked on the hilltop? <laughs> no, they bring him back from the hilltop. Like that that's how everything opens with them being like, Yeah, we gave you an advance for a book and you left the city, so get back here and write us a book. Right. So I mean he's redeemable in that he's like likely hateable, like we were talking about sure. earlier, but he does he fights for the the down and out guy. Um he fights for people that have just been kicked around or dumped in a shitty situation. Right. And hates everyone who has the power to change that and do nothing instead. And chooses, chooses not to run it. Um, so do you feel that you identify to a certain degree with with that and that's what makes him compelling? Um, kind of. Uh, a lot of it is that I'm, I, I tend to be a very angry person. Um, and there's this constant like fight of, especially when dealing with social media and people, um, I have days where I just hate everyone. Like, where everybody just pisses me off, mm-hmm. and I would rather burn to ashes sure. than deal with them. But by the same token, like, you know, there's people out there who are just constantly giving and, mm. you know, just dropping by and saying, like, hey, how are you? Can I do anything to make your day better? Right. And, or, you know, creating something, sharing things with people. And it's this, I feel that he has the same contrast that I feel a lot of times where it's, you know, a lot of times people just suck. Right. And that's shitty. Uh, and there's nothing that you can do to change these people who suck. But by the same token, there's all these wonderful, beautiful people out there who truly care and are giving and kind. Um, and, and you just want to kind of collect them and keep them all to yourself. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, share, and not, right. And not yeah. share the kindness. <laughs> exactly. They're, and you've got one of them words. right beside you. Your they're words, like not mine. A cross between Care Bears and Pokemons. <laughs> <laughs> You, you got to collect them all, and then they just stare at you. <laughs> sorry, this got weird. You made it weird. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Speaking I'm, about generosity and heroes and stuff, is George Lucas one of your new heroes? Because he's the only shareholder in Lucasfilms, he gets that 4.05 billion dollars all to himself, quite apart from the money he's made from the film and stuff. And he said, "Well, he's going to put it into a charitable trust and disseminate it um, for uh, purposes of education around the place." Uh, like I said on Twitter. Um, it's a very good thing he's doing. I'm very proud of him. But uh, really, if you think about Star Wars 1 through 3, that's just where he should start. <laughs> because he owes us so much more than that. 
I posed this to my last guest, and I'll pose it to you now, Kristen, before we get to um, to Sean's favourite hero. Hypothetically, there's a knock at the door. The dogs go crazy, they jump around all over the place, and then you get up to answer the door, and uh, it's somebody from Disney. And they say, you know what, Kristen, you're full of just the kind of bile that we are looking for. We want to make a really edgy Star Wars episode 7, 8, and 9. How about you pitch something to us? Tell us what's going to happen. Oh, you want me to pitch Star Wars? Well, they're at your door. Sean's not home. I mean, you can miss, <laughs> you can you can you can shut the door and say, "Look, you know, I'm not interested in your episode seven and, and send them on their way." But come on, you've got a chance to right all the wrongs. What's the mag- What's the what's the panacea for the people? Oh my god! No pressure. Um, I mean, it's only a multi-billion-dollar franchise. <laughs> that I can bring crashing to the ground in no time. Well, I mean, it's, it's by your own admission, it's already on the ground. So, you know, like, what, what, what could you possibly do? I am honestly so uninvested in Star Wars that I don't even know where it should go after well, this. Well, this. this carries on because from given, Return given of the Jedi. The, uh, uh, which is the number six? It's, it's, it's the one that ends in the Ewoks. Oh, okay. Uh. Yeah, well, first there's a barbecue. It opens with a barbecue. It opens, are, okay, so are they barbecue? Because it ended with Ewoks, so clearly. Are they, right, are they right. eating stormtroopers? I mean, I don't know what, what Ewoks eat, but do they eat stormtroopers? They, they tried to eat a Ex- Jedi. Exactly. I was talking about barbecuing the Ewoks. When did oh. we get no, no, stormtroopers? No, no, the Ewoks won. There are dead stormtroopers all over the place. They were prepared to eat okay, like okay, the Jedi and stuff. So. First, the first thing we're going to do is get rid of the Ewoks. That, that's very important. It's what, some sort of a some sort of a disease brought by the Jedi's and uh, to the to Endor, or they just find out they're delicious. Oh, so the the Ewoks are delicious. Yes, don't so, they look delicious? Uh, Especially the young ones. But here, all right. So, so we, we've killed off the Ewoks somehow. Okay, so the movie um, the movie opens with a, a pile of dead Ewoks. And like a whole bunch, and like Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker pushing back from the table um, <laughs> with, a, with a plate of like uh, Ewok bones. And I don't know. That's as far as I got. <laughs> so, so your pitch is get this, get this. They eat the Ewoks. <laughs> no, I think that there could be a lot of good drama initially between uh, Luke and Leia. Um, clearly. Uh, and I might be bringing too much of our Burning Wheel games into this, but clearly Leia and Solo can never be together. Um, clearly? Just... Why? Well, I mean, she's, you know, she's royalty and she saved everyone. And royalty he's just of what, though? Smuggler. She's royalty of a planet that's been disintegrated, so basically she's as much a princess as anybody. Yeah, and he's a general by the end of that movie. Yeah. So <laughs> she's marrying up, not him. If you let them be together and have happiness, where's the story going to go? Well, that's what that's look, you, you're not it's, here to ask questions. You're here to answer questions. <laughs> he's at the door. He's got money. He wants a pitch. And so far you've given him, they eat the Ewoks and nobody's happy. <laughs> that's a good movie though. <laughs> Dude, I mean, there'd have to be a new evil that rose. Um, I don't know Star Wars very well. Well, all I can say yeah, with any certainty is that out. it appears to me that the uh, that they blow up the Death Star and everybody's like, yay! And I'm thinking, well, where do they get all the shit to make the Death Star from in the first place? There must be like an empire planet where, like, they're doing all this stuff. I mean, they didn't just they didn't just materialize. No, it just it just hit me. You know what needs to happen is there needs to be like a Tremors um, Star Wars mashup where the Sarlacc pit. Uh, evolves 
Well, that was going to be my question. I think episode seven. Does episode? Is there a cut scene in episode seven anywhere where Boba Fett like cuts his way out of the Sarlacc and then starts going after Luke and and Han and 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 Leia? Um, I hope so. I mean, people seem to like Boba Fett. That seems pretty. You know, it's a pretty safe move, right? Dude, or he cuts his way out, tries to redeem himself, but looses the evolved Sarlacc demons into the sand, which then. I got nothing really. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I was I was hoping you were just going to come up with a flash of inspiration, but okay. All right, so Sean, I would actually go back and be like, "Look, your movie has already been written. There are three books written by Timothy Zahn. Just make those, and everybody will love you." Uh, That's no fun. I know, I know, it's no fun, but it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes, sometimes the, the truth isn't. Fun. Uh, you know what? If 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 it were actually up to me, I would I would uh, I would push timelines like way far ahead and see like you know have a movie about them trying to like rebuild the republic kind of like in in uh, monty python and the life of brian where where the there was the 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 resistance like yes. the, the rebel group yeah. who were like what are the, the people's ever front given of us? Judea? and they're like uh laws and roads and aqueducts <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, yeah, yeah, well, like, that, yeah, yeah, of course. Cool. And, uh, and then go to all these planets and be like, come join us. And they're like, screw you. Now all we have is crime and monsters trying to kill us. Like, <laughs> what did you do? So she want your favorite hero then. Uh, this is, this is going to be kind of a weird, weird answer. Uh, but I think I have to go with Gil Grissom from CSI. Uh, all right. Tell me why. It's really, really odd because it's like not even like my favorite show in the world. Uh, but, but much like uh, Spider Jerusalem, Gil Grissom is all about the truth. There was this one episode, and uh, it went through, uh, and you know they they find like a dead body in a in a dumpster, uh, and you know they they follow the clues. Uh, they think it's a murder, like a hit and run accident. Somebody had run away, and and all of this stuff. Uh, and what it turned out was that uh, somebody had, had gotten, like, something jammed in the garbage chute right. uh, and, like, tried to get it and wound up going too far and slipping in and, like, falling and breaking their neck or something. Right. Uh, and, and there were all of these other unrelated things happening at the same time. Uh, so it when you when you – like looked at all the pieces separately, like it looked like some intelligence was behind it, but really what happened was a series of accidents. Right. And, and the mother comes in, the mother of this victim comes in, uh, and he, you know, Gil Grissom explains what happens. Uh, and he's like, yeah, your daughter died uh, because of an accident. And the, the mother gets up and is like, I'm going to go hire like a private investigator and figure out like who was really responsible uh-huh. For all this, uh, and somebody, would, you know, at, at the end they're having this dialogue, and, and somebody's like, you know, to, to Grissom, and he's like, you know, that that woman, she she wanted closure uh, because he just couldn't identify with what she was doing, and, right. and just looks at her, and he goes, well, the truth should bring closure, right? Uh, and I really dislike that whole postmodern like everybody's view of of something is is equally valid, yes. Uh, you know, everybody has a subjective view of, of mm. things, and I understand that. Uh, but if you follow evidence, then it, eventually you come to as close to the objective facts of, of what, you know, what events transpired, yes. uh, what what things exist, what things don't exist, what things happen. Right. Uh, and I'm one of those 
cold, soulless people who are like, yeah, people should be happy with with what the facts are. Exactly, uh, and, and that kind of goes a little bit to the ending of your your Burning Wheel game too, right? Like that was, like it doesn't doesn't require an ending; it just requires the ending that it that it requires. And and so I guess that it's not that weird to me that that fits perfectly. And, and do, does having that desire for the truth does that make it easier for you to run games? You don't concern yourself with what could happen and make everybody happy. You just think about what should happen. Uh, I, you know, I try to like, I mean, you're dealing with people and, and the people you're hmm. dealing with are generally, generally your friends. So you yes. want to, you know, we're, we're, we're playing a game. Uh, so yeah, for sure. you know, we, we're all here to, to be entertained and we're all mm-hmm. kind of responsible for entertaining each other mm-hmm. in our own ways. Uh, so of course that, that factors into it. Uh, but you know, uh, when you're playing a game, you everybody has their own agendas. Like everybody yep. wants a thing for their character. Mm-hmm. Like they want to see their character do cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it kind of behooves everybody to, else to facilitate that. Uh, but I, I don't think you need to look for objective truth in a <laughs> in a role playing game. No, sure. Uh, but but on the other hand, uh, it also helps when you're not trying to force a particular outcome yes. in anything. Yep. You know, sure. what, what happens happens and you just kind of go, okay, cool. That happened. And now, now what happens? Yeah, you yeah. know, what, what's next? I mean, there's that, that very subjective, like, I think it would be cool if this thing happened in a right. burning wheel. Like that's all on the GM in other games, like that, that, you know, what would be cool right here gets distributed. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's all, that's all perfectly awesome. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's the same kind of thing. Like once that once that has been determined, like that is the the new quote unquote truth in the in the fiction sure. of the game, and then you just have to have to continue to deal with that. Right. Uh, so yeah, when you when you get to ending points uh, from that, like that's just things end when, when they end, and you just yep. kind of have to deal with it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what's your because you've run quite a few games. Um, Sean, I'm not sure how many you've run, um, Kristen, in comparison. But even so, do you have any interesting uh, con games gone wrong stories? Apart from apart from walking into a game and seeing somebody really, really sad. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even there to play. I was there to ask somebody a question. <laughs> um, and you just backed slowly away, like Homer Simpson going through the hedge on that. Well, I was like. You could tell it was an intense moment, and I was standing there, and I was waiting, and, like, there was a little bit of dialoguing that happened, and then I look over, and I'm like, wow, that kid's really into his character. He's not acting. He's crying. I'm just going to back out of the room, because I doubt he needs an audience, and we'll just, like, it is an unimportant matter. We will deal with it later. Mm. Um, When you go to cons every once in a while, you just have rough experiences, but there was one that stands out in particular, and I can't remember who ran the game. And and I'm sorry if you're listening and this was your game. Um, and I'll try to be as fair as possible to why I had such an issue with it, but it was Thunderstone, you said? Yeah, I think that was the name of the game, the, the board game. Yeah, there's a board game, I guess, called Thunderstone. Right. And this guy, um, who is one of the Good Omens GMs mm-hmm. in the Bay Area did an RPG adaptation of this board game. Right. The way the character that I picked was kind of made um, wasn't necessarily very clear as to what was actually going on. Right. So we spent hours playing this, like, board game RPG mashup. Right. Hours. 
doing this. (laughs) And it's just like, it's slow and it's not that interesting and it's dragging on. Mm -hmm. And then based on the character that I was handed and I have a terrible memory. So the specifics are a little fuzzy, but it was basically clear that like somebody would reveal themselves to be a thing. And then I was supposed to kill them. Right. Pretty much. Which, Come to find out I was reading it wrong this whole time. So we spend just hours and hours like doing this slow, slow game. Right. At which point character reveals himself, my character kills him. Basically what happens is the world resets and we go back to the beginning. And we were all just like, um, we don't want to do this again. <laughs> the team was like, I really don't either. And we just left. Oh, <laughs> That sounds like hell right there. Except for, yeah. except for you can't actually leave until the game is finished, and it never actually finishes. Yeah, basically. And it, was, and it was due to the fact that, like, the information that I was given on my character was unclear, and the way I interpreted it made us basically go all the way back to the beginning. Right. And, and start again, because it was based on a board game. So, you know, things happen sure. in a certain way, in a certain sure. manner, and... Oh, it just drug on and on for hours. So, I, so by the sound of things, um, the fix for that would be, or to prevent yourself getting into that same situation, is uh, not necessarily you, but somebody getting themselves in the same situation, is when you have pre-generated characters and their actions are pivotal to telling the type of story that you've sort of got lined up for that period of time. Take the time to go through, double-check that all that stuff is clear, check it with a few people that aren't playing that it is clear, and then even if it's that crucial, then run through it with the person who's playing that character ahead of time, and then, you know, problem solved. Well, and Good Omens is a big proponent of playtesting your scenarios. Right. Which, like, Sean saw the value of it big bad because his um, orc burning wheel game, one of the characters had a belief about killing the character that I picked. Right. So within the first hour of the game, that character chopped my character's head off. Yes. And I'm like, I guess I'll go inside now and let you guys finish your game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think in this situation, a playtest run-through would have benefited the game greatly. Like, right. it would have revealed all these slow weak points. Because what wound up happening was the guy fixed everything that was wrong with the game, took it to a different con, and right. it went over fabulously. Right. Yeah, um, I think that uh, I think that playtesting a, a scenario for a con is is another really important ingredient. But just picking up on what Kristen was was saying there, um, Sean and I played in um, Luke's Luke Crane's. Um, what's the name of that game? Oh, Inheritance. Yeah, Inheritance game, and that's and I'm not going to give any spoilers away here, so there's no there's no need for anybody to, to shut off. But one of the things they find difficult about LARPs is knowing. Um, knowing what the line is in terms of what it is that I can and what it is that I can't do. Because you, in a con game, you don't want to ruin somebody else's fun. So I always think to myself, you know, is this move going to be okay? Or is this actually going to, is it going to be a move that's going to stop somebody else having fun. If I'm really, really playing this character, this is what I'm going to do. And the particular, um, the particular thing about in- inheritance was my, my character had right from the very, the, right from the get go, had a feeling about something that something wasn't quite right. And I was, and I felt to myself, you know, 
can I, am I, if I chase this up, am I chasing a red herring and is this going to create a problem for, for other people? Now, I have every belief that that it wouldn't have been a problem if I had chosen to chase it, but, that's, but I start to second guess, you know, what's the best thing for the game and what's the best thing for myself if I'm going to be true to my character. And that's something that I always, always struggle with. Do you feel similarly, Sean? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, on, on one hand, a lot, of the, a lot of the responsibility for that has to be on uh, the scenario designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, you, you, played, you played in Inheritance, you played in The Gift. Like, mm-hmm. the, those were all designed with really, like, the only thing that was set in stone is the very beginning yes. uh, of those situations. And then you just go. Yes. Uh, and and typically, what I find is that uh, if you if you give like a handful of different motivations uh, to a player or to, to each character, uh, everybody's going to latch onto one really strongly. Mm-hmm. You, you never know which one it's going to be, but one of them's going to get latched onto pretty strongly. Yes. Uh, one of them might be like uh, something that they try to do on the side. Yeah. Uh, and then one tends to get ignored or at least, you know, paid lip service to it best. Mm-hmm. Yep, sure. Uh, and I actually, I, I actually think that's a good thing. Like, sure, uh, because you get you've got three options. Which one of these things appeals to you? Appeals to you? Oh the yeah, most? yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. It, and as long as those are constructed in such a way that they are uh, that that pushing those as hard as you can uh, isn't going to destroy the fun for anybody else. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then, then you're okay. Right. Uh, if if you have a scenario where uh, where somebody you know taking like like playing their character very hard is going to screw things up, uh, then the scenario has already failed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was that's the thing. Like like I always because I'm I'm generally on the other side of the screen, right? So right. I I'm like. And maybe I'm being a dick here. Maybe by going after this thing, maybe this is, maybe this is just something that somebody hasn't said before. Maybe this is something that hasn't been considered before. And maybe I'm picking at a hole that could actually create a problem. Maybe I should just, maybe I should just leave it alone. And that probably comes down to me not being trusting enough of who's, uh, of who's running the game. But I'm always, you know, in the back of my mind, thinking, am I, am I fucking with somebody else's fun by doing this? Am I? And also, I always feel like in LARPs, um, and it might just be my bias against them, is that I feel like you can do them wrong. Right. Um, and maybe it was taught that because I guess I've LARPed wrong. Like, I've always never felt like I've done it quite right. Sure. Um, even even helping Morningstar with his LARP, because I can walk into an RPG that I've never played before, and, and I can sit down and, and get into the character and then step back. Yeah. And be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Like, is it something that is allowable within the game? Is mm-hmm. it something that's going to screw with your character? Like, and we can have that talk. And I don't feel like that's there necessarily in a LARP. Yeah. Because, you know, you're so, you know, you're, you're supposed to be in your character and you're supposed to be doing your character's things. And when do you get a step back and be like, I, like, I really don't know if this is okay within the game we're playing, if this is okay with your character. Um, and it makes it even harder with strangers. Like, I can yell yeah. at strangers at an RPG table. Uh, tribunal scared the crap out of me. I don't know how Jason got me in that room. <laughs> I, I really, like, I, I must have been exhausted and sleep-deprived. That's all I can think of. You were exhausted and sleep-deprived. <laughs> but you were, you're, an excellent, uh, you're an excellent number two um, uh, in that. It was, it was fun. I, I, I could I, tell that I was because nobody would look at me after the game. 
Oh yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you, you, I mean, because you, you 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 embodied the you embodied the the role, and you had the right demeanour to to convey, you know, the, the gravity of 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 what was going on. So I mean, that's that's hats off to you. But again, you're in a but in that I know I know exactly what you mean because um, you're in that position of power. You know, you're talking with the person that's running the game, so you know what you've been given your brief. This is what you can do. This is what you what you need to do, and so you're oh, free. Oh, even then, I was just terrified that I was going to do it wrong or do something that he oh, that didn't right? want within the game. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> well, it didn't show. Oscar Oscar reward for you. So, so what about you, Sean? You've run your fair share of uh, of, of con games. Um, is there, or I mean, and been in your fair share of con games. Is there anything in particular that's uh, that's come up that you've just like you always look back in horror at? Uh, there's there's a couple. Uh, there, there's there's two that come to mind and and uh one of them uh one of them was weird because like i wasn't even the person like getting the shit into the stick in that scenario right. uh, the uh the first con we went to i think was it the first con was uh gen con, gen con socal uh the last year that they had gen con right. socal right. um <clears throat> And it was really before we uh, we hadn't we hadn't moved to any like indie games at all. So we like we went there and played like a bunch of Shadowrun and and you know kind of tratty yep. stuff. Sure, um, I'm sure I just pissed somebody off by saying the word tratty, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking you're hella cool and trendy every time you say that word. I, I know. <laughs> Uh, it's all right, Traddy's over. Uh, <laughs> it's so that word's a real panty remover, Sean. Don't, don't, you right. don't overuse it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so we were playing in this uh, "All Flesh Must Be Eaten" game, right. uh, where the premise was we were all high school, like it was it was high school homecoming or prom, yeah, like or something a prom, like that. some dance, uh, and it's all flesh must be eaten. So, of course, zombies. Oh my god! Right, uh, and the GM. <clears throat> had like he'd constructed the scenario in such a way that like uh the goal was escape uh, right. but it wasn't a group goal it was an individual go- goal right so the better you did the shorter your game was mm-hmm. oh yeah uh, well and even before the game even started um to butt in here i remember he sat down and he's like okay here's your character tell us a little about him and you'd start describing your character Oh, and, yeah. and he did it to me. Like I'm like, oh well, this is what I see. And he's like, you know what? What I really see for your character. Oh, good. And then he would tell you how he had wanted. I, I see where I see where this is going. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, removing agency, right? Right from the right from the get go. So okay, that's definitely <laughs> a, dangling in front of your face, and then being like, <laughs> no. <laughs> you thought you were going to contribute? How cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And yeah, so so like as people would would like go and they'd be like, I jump in my car and I drive off, and they'd you'd be like, awesome, you escaped, you survived the zombies, thanks for playing. Uh, why don't you go hang out? It was like a four or six hour slot. I can't remember wow. how long it was, but yeah. So people were like, I guess I'm just gonna go over here and talk to the dude in the Darth Vader costume. No, no, it was he wasn't in a Darth Vader costume. Oh no, he was Darth Vader over it. Uh, so I was the first person to escape. Oh, that's right. You were the first person. And, to and there's still like hours left in this game. And he's like, cool, you made it. You live. And I'm like, well, can't we drive back and rescue? And he's like, no. Like, <laughs> like, we still smoked at the time. So I'm like, I, I guess I'll go out on the balcony Brilliant. and like be a leader. 
for a few hours. Wow. And yeah, I wound up Ooh. getting hit on by the guy who plays Darth Vader at Disneyland. Oh. <laughs> Isn't all bad, but... Yeah. Nice, they let him borrow his uh, costume for the weekend, or did he have a separate costume that he wore? No, he was just out there um, as a dude. Telling me he played Darth Vader in Disneyland. Oh, so, oh, okay. I was imagining a guy in a Darth Vader costume hitting on you, and I wonder, like, how does that go? Like, what's that conversation like? <laughs> the dark side of my force. That is how that conversation. Yeah. It's about making children cry. <laughs> That's on. It really was. Um, yeah. I still have his number somewhere. <laughs> nice. I could get on the show. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, weird. Uh, yeah, the second one was somebody was playing a fate, uh, running a fate game. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the GM was clearly high, right? Like very high, because it was. It started at like eight o'clock at night, and he came in in sunglasses, uh, <laughs> and and uh, had like a completely incoherent, yeah, pitch for this game. I had no. I I couldn't tell you what the hell this game was about. Right, right. Uh but but the bad thing was was when uh when somebody was who who knew fate fairly well uh was like I am going to spend a fate chip to make a declaration yep. that it's true and the GM was like no. <laughs> Just <was> like no. <laughs> game work now. Uh, Excellent. I almost got up and left. Yeah, I yeah. Did, I just can't bring myself to do it, but I should have. Yes, yeah, well, there you vote with your feet, right? So I guess the three things to take out of that is one, playtest your scenario, uh, or four things, actually. One, playtest your scenario ahead of time. Two, make sure if you're going to go with pre-gens that you take the time to describe any really important plot points with your with your players. Um, three, don't show up high. And, <laughs> and, and four, don't have a six-hour slot uh, where your players can finish in an hour and then just expect them to be happy about it. You know, that last one I'm guilty of because um, the horror convention that we go to in December, I tend to run Dread at. Right. And I love Dread. Yes. Um, I, I think we've talked about it before. But for, for horror games, I absolutely sure. love Dread. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's a... it's. Kind of getting to be a thing uh, with the people we game with when when they run dread they bring multiple characters so when you kill your character, um, you know you can you can keep playing. I really don't like to do that. No, no, that's right. I, yeah, you've got to have they want to have that hard stop on it, right? Like I want it to be a precious resource. Like I yeah. want these decisions to be hard. Not if you knock the tower over and kill your character, I'm just going to give you a new character. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but, but I think that people know that going in, though. I mean, it's not a case of where you haven't met their expectations. I mean, if if you, uh, and maybe that's point five, which is be clear about, you know, what somebody's getting into before they before they start before they start oh. the game, right? So yeah. I think that in that, I think I'll give you a pass on that question. I think that's that's <laughs> fair enough, right? Like if you're playing, because it's very rare to have a role playing game where there is actually something at stake right like in a way you're wagering the next four hours of your or three hours or however much be of your of your con fun on how carefully you can pull out the so it's an extra dimension of fear to the to the game or that's extra evil Kristen. well done (laughs) why thank you i've got some i've got some verses here for you uh now before we get to your best uh con experience or things that you really like about cons um so luke skywalker or harry potter 
You know what? I'm going to go with Harry. Because Harry always, like, he didn't spend a lot of time feeling sorry for himself, although of all characters, he probably had the rights to. Uh, Luke was just kind of... Are, are you kidding me? I will point out book okay, Order well, of the Phoenix. I yeah. don't remember which number that is. Okay, but well, he gets all he did, whiny when all he gets he older. Did, all he did was feel sorry for himself. Yeah, but compared to Luke... Luke, mm, I don't want to be on the farm, Uncle. <laughs> it was like the beginning of the movie. I mean, no, Luke was a whiny bitch. I, I'll <laughs> give you that. Uh, and and uh, really, if you think about it, they're pretty much the same goddamn character. Like, like they they both do the whole like stereotypical hero's journey kind of kind of deal. Uh, so I think Harry Potter was throwing himself headfirst into uh, trouble to do the right thing hmm. long yes. before Luke even uh, yeah. figured out that people existed beyond himself. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll 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 give you that. Uh, and and also like like uh, at least near the end of that series, Harry Potter had had a a much uh, you know people close to him died, hmm. you know, and, and many of them. Yes. Really, like, especially in the, in, the, in the last book, you know, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Jesus dies. Je- Jesus dies. <laughs> I don't remember which book. One of one of four. He dies four times, I guess. Uh, but no. Uh, yeah, like, like a lot of people surrounding Harry, like, get just fucking slaughtered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that does not happen to Luke Skywalker. I mean, you know, some some schlubs, some red shirty like like rebel rebel mm. soldiers and you know dudes in in the death star trench scene get yeah. get wasted well and that was a Pulkins, for example oh fucking poor <laughs> don't fly a y-wing i'm just telling All right. you no y-wings. but no that was the whole deal with the order of the phoenix was that harry potter had finally had a family member who he could connect with and liked him and felt like he belonged and then yeah, he just uh, died suddenly. I mean, yeah. It sounds like Sean's all turned around anyway. He was just extolling the virtues of Harry Potter, and yet he was saying that he didn't think he was. Right I am. She, she right? does like to rub in how right she is <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, Harry's definitely more selfless yes. than than uh, Luke, and he tells it like it is too. Like I forget the scene with the Dumbledore's army when uh, which book that was in was was that episode. That was six, right? That was uh, the Half Blood Prince. I think it was. Yes. But um, but yeah, from the start, I found him much more, much more of a selfless character. Like his, he showed a level of maturity that Luke didn't show until well, did he ever? I don't know. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, Luke did, uh, but not until like the end of of Jedi, right? Really. Uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, so, Harry, uh, Harry Potter, although I'm still a diehard Star Wars fan. Well, speaking of diehard, Han Solo or John McClane? Uh, I have to go with Han Solo. Why? Uh, because you know what John McClane's going to do. I mean, uh, because John McClane has a, has a definite goal, right? Like, right. If, if John McClane were an RPG character, like he would have... Like a belief or a trait or or uh, an aspect, you know, about having to save his wife. Right. Uh, so you know, we we know he gets fucked up when he get you know goes walking barefoot across broken glass, mm-hmm. 
uh, in the pursuit to save his wife from the, the terrorist threat. Uh, Han Solo, you have no idea what that man is going to do. Mm. Mm. Is he going to shoot? He's going to shoot Greedo in the face. Yes. Uh, just in case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but once he has the stockpile of money he needs to go pay off, you know, the you know the gangster for dumping his cargo mm-hmm. uh he has a change of heart and comes back and and puts himself and his co-pilot and his ship like the only three things uh that he values at risk to to go and and help people right uh so yes hansel what's the relationship between hansel and chewbacca i never really quite managed to understand that you know um don't we just to- don't want you to judge <laughs> <laughs> Do, do I do I need to push up my glasses and actually it's uh Solo saved his life so Chewbacca owes him a life debt. <laughs> no, I, I get I get that I get that part of it. Like I understand you know why they why Chewbacca's with Han, but there's a really weird bit where Han kind of rubs him like he's a dog, and I can't reconcile that with anything. I you know I I imagine. You know, when a man and a Wookiee are in a <laughs> for, for long periods of time, you become very close to your Wookiee. <laughs> I think I know all that there is to know about Han Solo and, uh, and Chewbacca now. So, Han Solo or Indiana Jones? You can take this one, Kristen. Because hmm, I actually know who Indiana Jones is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked Han Solo. I mean, I don't really remember most. Like the the only Indiana Jones movie I really remember is uh, Crystal Skull, and that really made me hate the entire franchise. And Han Solo really has that bad boy thing going on, right? So, yeah, I'm gonna stick with Han Solo. All right, and what about Han Solo or Deckard from Blade Ooh. Runner? Uh, <laughs> Kristen's like, I don't know who. You're- who you're talking about. <laughs> they can't see your air mouthing. I don't know who that is there, Kristen. <laughs> Just uh, like your air quotes. <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, well, there are no easy questions here, Sean. No, no, there are no easy questions. Uh, Harrison Ford or Harrison Ford. Mm, I'm going to have to go with Harrison Ford. Uh, no, uh, God, I might have to go with Deckard uh, because he's clearly a robot. Mm. Uh but but in the in the end he kind of exercises uh exercises free will and is he clearly a robot? I thought is. it was a little ambiguous. Well it's it's kind of ambiguous. It depends on which cut. You think he's a robot. Uh it, it's the, the director has confirmed that, that he was in fact a replicant. Wow. Well that ruins uh, everything. But uh but yeah, uh there's there's that line at the end of of Blade Runner where 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 uh Gaff, Edward James Olmos's character like comes and picks him up after after Roy Batty has died, uh, and tells him you, you you've done a man's job, uh, which is uh, you know that's that's kind of a big thing. That's like you know you were built built for a purpose. Uh, it it the the movie implies that he has somebody else's memories, much like mm. uh, Young's character. And it, in the end, he did what what, what he needed to do. Right. Yeah, I have to go. I have to go with Deckard. So what about Gandalf or Dumbledore? If this was a hugging competition, I would hug Dumbledore first. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't envisaged it as a hugging competition, but but seeing as you have said that it is a hugging competition. 
I, so, I would kind of go to definitely Dumbledore. Ah, uh, that's. Uh, I, or, like I you're feeling I, sad. You're feeling sad about how nasty everybody was, and you needed a hug. You'd go for for Dumbledore. Just he's the more lovable of the two. Yeah, Gandalf can be a total dick. Yeah, <laughs> like but Dumbledore, like he might not have revealed all the information um, until it was he deemed it was an appropriate time, which is kind of a dick move. But he did it out of concern. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like I have to I have to go with Gandalf uh, partly because like really when you think about it, Dumbledore was kind of uh, like like yeah, there was the whole like. No, I didn't tell you this because, you know, I was, I was, you know, concerned for your safety, like too much information and, and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but man, did he like, did he manipulate events like, like he used kids to, to his own, his own ends. Well, I guess that's the good thing about Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf never minced words with the hobbits. No, no, like, he was like, uh, I can't take this ring because it would make me not only a badass, but an evil badass. Uh, right. So if I had to hug one, yeah. it would be Dumbledore. But if I had to get information from one, I would probably go to Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. G- Gandalf will just tell. I trust him more. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Gandalf, like, if he doesn't tell you something, it's be- probably because he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or because, like, that that he needs to do more research or, or something. Like, he doesn't know all the implications of something. Uh and and so yeah, Gandalf with, withholds some information, but uh, but in the end, like you know, upfront about you know, Hobbit's got to carry the ring because he they're they're the only ones that aren't very susceptible to it. Right. Uh, he kind of goes off on his own uh, because you know he can do shit that other people can't, and you know he trusts his people enough to to make their own decisions. Okay, so are you going to hug Sean? Or are you going to hug uh, Dumbledore? The thing is that Sean has been working cleaning out a chicken coop uh, for the whole day. And the news that you've received is not that bad. It's, you're not, like, you know, really, like, deeply sad. You just kind of, like, need a hug. Are you going to hug Dumbledore or are you going to hug Sean? I'm standing right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to have me on again and ask this question. <laughs> I'm going to answer this right now. There is... <laughs> So, uh, what makes a great convention game, Sean? Uh, what makes a great convention game? Uh, I mean, I mean, we'll we'll take it's got to be fun out of it because that's that's sure. implied in yeah, the fact sure. of doing it. I think the things that make uh, good good convention games uh, are really strong situations. Not necessarily that you know what you're getting into, but but you know, being able to sum up like this is the thing that is that that you are going to do. But I also think uh, that the the best convention games that I that I've played in uh, are where you have that and no set ending. When everybody is surprised by the stuff that happens at the table, like all of this cool stuff happens organically, and and at the end of it, you can just be like, "Yeah, that was badass!" Like all mm. of this happened, right? Uh, you know, in in our gift game, I'm pretty sure that even Luke Crane had never seen the elf and the dwarf get married oh yeah that's right yeah we that, just a little bit of background there uh, sean ran a, a burning wheel game at the convention called the gift and in it there are two factions um and something has happened which has caused uh, a problem which is intractable with the resources that are currently available so some sort of a, a solution uh, has to be agreed upon and it's sort of a this or that 
type situation, and it creates a good bit of tension. It's a, it's like like Sean, like you say, you know, there's a very clear idea of what the game's going to be about. There's a very clear problem that needs to be solved, and everybody is on very solid ground in terms of you know what it is that they need to do. Um, but even so, there's still plenty of room to to explore. However. Um, in this particular, in this particular instance, um, instead of taking option A or option B, um, the group chose option H, skipping over even the possibility of C, D, E, F, or G, and going straight to option H, which was not actually a solution, not only for this game but for any other game ever. Uh, I, I mean, it, it may have happened in somebody's game that I just don't know about, and if so, that's awesome. Uh, but, sure. But yeah, like, like when I said it, you know, when I, I talked to Luke about it, he was like, what? <laughs> uh, which, was, which was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And actually, there's, there's one more thing that I think that makes a good con game, uh, and that's there needs to be at, at least one major twist in, yeah. uh, in the game. Yeah, for sure. Right, you, Kristen, what makes it good for you? Uh, the biggest thing that kind of sticks out for me is the entire idea of say yes. And it's like Sean was saying, where if you don't have um, a set series of events mm-hmm. or you don't have a set ending and you kind of actually let players develop the story through their play, through their roles and through you acting, um, you know, a little antagonistically as mm-hmm. the GM. Yes. It goes off much better, and you don't wind up in the situation where your players are trying to do something. And you're like, that's not really what I wrote up in these five pages of notes. Mm. So I'm going to try and force you to do the thing that I have decided that you should be doing. And right. I've been in a fair share of games like that, and they're just kind of... Because it's kind of like LARPing. You can do it wrong. Yeah, and yeah. oh yeah, for sure. Really yeah. yeah. You know, and I understand doing rules wrong or actions wrong or not triggering things the way that you should, but the story shouldn't have a wrong option. Yeah, yeah, and and that's really difficult to achieve in a con game because you've got that additional constraint of time, and leaving things open ended is I don't know. Risky is probably not quite the right word, but if you want to go with this idea of pre playing your scenario then and you've got an open-ended scenario it's much more daunting i think to um much more daunting to take it on what do you think about that sean uh well i mean with an open-ended scenario like really all you have to do is is make sure uh make sure that the that the parts move correctly uh you, you don't necessarily have to have an idea of where the car's going uh only, only where it's starting from, and that, and that, you know, the wheels are moving, and no, no pistons are broken or anything. Sure. Uh, I don't, I don't need know if I need to take that metaphor any any further than that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like like with an orc game I ran, like it it was really easy to make that that game in, into a bloodbath, and yep, I, I managed to do it with like not even a full belief, with half of one belief, hmm. uh, it turned that game into a bloodbath. I took that out. And suddenly everything worked. Uh, right. That could have been luck, but I'd like to think that, that I knew the system well enough that that, that was going to uh, that things were pointed at each other uh, in ob- obliquely, you know, oblique angles enough to where it wasn't just I need to put a knife in your gut. 
Mm. Uh, well, and I think that you can have a, a little bit more developed scenarios, but if you have every step planned out for the characters, like you could have, you know, your, your clues, um, you just have to figure out where the players are going and drop it in front of them mm. instead of them having to be certain places to trigger clues. Um, and you can have your big bad antagonist and have them meet the antagonist within the story that they've told. So, so you can have that more kind of rounded, finite story mm. without the players having to follow your breadcrumbs. Hmm. Yeah, that, yeah. I see exactly what you mean, but uh, I still think that's a daunting proposition, mm-hmm. particularly if you don't get the chance to to pre-play it. But I think that um, you know, daydreaming your scenario ahead of time, imagining possibilities, I think that sort of goes along a long way to it. Maybe even getting some advice from from other people, at least running it by. What would you do in this situation? Clearly, what you need to do is play test with the people that I do, um, who just do everything completely against what you had planned to yeah, begin yeah. with, and then you realize <laughs> yeah. that you can improvise. <laughs> because right, yeah. uh, Sean and Sean Nittner and everyone else who play tests my scenarios, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's better if I don't plan anything. That's right. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's I'll kind of a like, yeah, no. yeah, for sure. I, I, yeah. I will tell you, however, that we always make it awesome. That's it's right, always yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm always just terrified in the process. <laughs> You're the queen of snacks, Kristen, as evidenced by your cookies at the convention. Tell me, Sean, does Kristen do snacks um, for uh, for you guys as well, or does she? Uh, is that when she's putting on her uh, her best out in public face? Kristen makes cookies and stuff for people to show appreciation for for things that they have done, uh, even if they don't necessarily know that they have done them. Right, like uh, for just being a great husband, for example. No, that. <laughs> pies have I made you? I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you shit. Giving cookies to people at a con, especially ones that you've never met. Mm. Like, in person, you know, it's like, oh, hey, I really like your game. Have some cookies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, it was great. And it tended to be really handy to have those um, because it took a long time for people to, to get food, and it was sort of quite a distance to go to get stuff, so that was that was uh, it was extra appreciated. Um, so, what are your rules for, and what are the best role-playing snacks? You guys play online a lot, so that may be a bit more of a difficult question to ask, but historically? Uh, at the table, we've done a lot of... It just kind of depends on the players that we have. Um, back when I was still in college, we, you know, we'd go in, out and get cheap pizza for everyone, or one of the places we lived in, we gamed upstairs, and we actually had a fridge there that was stocked with beer and soda most of the time right. that everyone could have at. Um, but I found that if you put out healthy foods people will eat them anyway yes yeah it's true so, you, so we get veggie platters uh you put out trial mix chips of course are always the staple yeah 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 because it's not a role-playing game you can't see through your character sheet <laughs> That's right. <laughs> my players i think or at least our players i feel we're always pretty clear on if you leave a mess i will hate you Back in the day, we did have players, and they would just, you know, they'd bring food in. Mm. You know, they'd stop and get fast food and sodas, and they would just leave everything mm. on the table, which then, you know, I have to get up the next morning and clean. Right. Which, if you're coming into my home, if I'm making space for you and time for you and being a good hostess, uh, you're sitting next yes. to the garbage can. Yeah, yeah just- exactly. Throw the fuck away. Exactly, yeah, because you're not going along to a restaurant. I mean, there's no excuse for being rude at a restaurant even, but, you know, like if you're going to somebody's house, then the bare minimum courtesy is to clean your stuff up. Um, yeah. Can you take your snacks away with you if you don't finish them? 
Yeah. Please do. You can? <laughs> Even oh, yeah. In, no, yeah. Um, if I ever bring something and I never want to take it back, I'm pretty explicit about that. Right. And most of the time, if I send something, I'm completely okay with people keeping it. But by the same token, if somebody brings food over to my house and they're like, this is left, I'm going to take it back with me. I didn't expect you to give me food. Um, so I'm you know, grateful that you brought it and you shared. But right. yeah, take it. Okay, what about beers? Somebody brings six beers over and three of them get drunk. Do they take three beers away with them? I do have a rule about that. You are welcome to take your beer home. If you leave it, it will be drank. So there is no allowance for, I left my beer there, and now it's not there. What happened? Um, if you <laughs> I'll, I'll let you it, guess. <laughs> I'll give you three guesses. Somebody, yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to be upset with somebody for taking stuff back, but if you leave it, uh, don't expect it to be there yes. next time you come. Fair enough. Absolutely. Let me, that's very fair. I'll allow it. Okay, so for all the marbles, um, and either one of you can take this, but I'm going to randomly cut somebody off, so be warned. Um, if you had one role-playing related wish, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. That everybody played like Sean Nittner. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sean and Kristen Hayworth. That's it for episode 39 of Penny Red. For any questions or comments arising from the show, daniel at hazardgaming.com. If you'd like to get a copy of Victoria, go to hazardgaming.com and go to Buy Victoria. You can get it in print, print on demand or in PDF. Uh, and for listeners of Penny Red, if you scroll down the right-hand side till you're across from the field for entering your address for the PDF delivery, you can find a secret link which will take you to a page where you can get it for not $9.99 but just $6.99. In any case... Next week's episode features Sean Nittner, who you may recall from episode 4, and from a number of promotions he did for Big Bad Con. So until then, keep talking the walk. Mm-hmm.